Hi, I'm Captain Kiwi, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon, and you should too. It'll keep the wind in your sails. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to show your support. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me, as always, is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know that George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? If you are troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night or experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic, we're ready to believe you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1984, so were the Ghostbusters. In this episode, we're focusing on that supernatural Gen X comedy that's loved by millions and launched a franchise that is still going strong today. So strong, in fact, that in just about a week from when you're listening to this show, Ghostbusters Afterlife, a brand new sequel that's set to follow along after Ghostbusters mm-hmm. 1 and 2 Thank God. is coming out November 19th, hitting theaters, and we thought, what better time to remember and celebrate Ghostbusters, right? That, Absolutely. of course, assumes that you're listening to our podcast the day it drops. Yeah. If they're well, listening to it six months later. Then the movie already came out, and you have your opinions. And <laughs> Lucky you, you could go and watch it right now. We have to wait, actually, for another week, but you in the future can just go enjoy it. Whoa, Good that for was you. Like some time travel discussion crap That's there, pretty man. meta. I like that. Really. <laughs> Talking to my future self. <laughs> we have a lot to say and reminisce about Ghostbusters. In fact, we always plan our show and kind of set them up and we commented, we almost don't need to do that here because yeah. any one of us could talk for hours about Ghostbusters. But we definitely have some topics to discuss and looking back and remembering fondly that film, the franchise in general. Before we do, though, it is time for some fourth listener email. Our fourth listener for this this episode is a recent Patreon and listener, Curlbro. Curlbro. Cool. So Curlbro wrote in and said, Gen X grown up, let me say, you guys rock. Oh, wow. Cool. Right. Is he talking about us? No, it is. A, he said Gen X grown up. Oh, wow. It is okay. A, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> I never rocked before. <laughs> Well, not in recent I'm years. I'm not sure you have yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ow. Hey, according oh. to Cobra, I have rocked. So there we go. That's all <laughs> the validation I need. <laughs> As a late Gen Xer born near the end of the 70s, your podcast is a great way to relive my childhood and relate to people in 2021. I am very much an early adopter of tech, and I love the fact that I have money now to purchase all the cool shit I couldn't have <laughs> growing up. That is great. <laughs> and then he addresses each one of us why he likes us in the show. So he says, John is the reason I started listening to the show because of his guest appearances on another podcast. Ah, okay. 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 All right. Okay. Fair enough. George got me hooked on the show and I like the fact that he swears like a real adult. <laughs> I think he swears a little bit more than the average adult, but I'm going with it. one superpower apparently swearing like an adult. <laughs> he was once bitten by a radioactive sailor and now... <laughs> And Mo keeps me coming back week after week with his quick one-liners. <laughs> okay, I'll nice. take it. You three have great chemistry and I look forward to continuing to trek, see what I did there, Ooh. through your catalog so I can eventually be caught up. I just listened to the Escape Room episodes. Awesome work. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Very topical, too, for this time of year. It's a good time to around Halloween, right? Yeah. Uh, he wraps it up. He doesn't take long to grab onto this salutation. Maybe fourth listener be with you, Curl Bro. Nice. Cool. Thank thanks, you. man. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Great. Wow. We really appreciate your writing in. 
And we love it every time the fourth listener writes in. In fact, if you would like your email featured here on the show, just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. You know, we read every single one, and most of them, just like Curl Bros, eventually make this show. All right, it's time to jump into some reminiscing about Ghostbusters as soon as we get back for the break. Stick around. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. Ghostbusters! Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. This backtrack, we are focusing on the 1984 hit comedy Ghostbusters, and there's so much to talk about in this film. Uh, it was released June 5th, 1984. I still remember yeah. vividly when I saw it, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. On the off chance you have not yet seen the Ghostbusters, just stop listening and go watch yeah, it. Go it's way better it than this podcast. But then, <laughs> wow. come back. This coming from the man who's never seen Goonies. <laughs> well, if I hear a podcast that tells me to go watch it, maybe I will. So You've, <laughs> you've been in the recording of like... Oh, I see. No. <laughs> so if you have not seen it, the premise of Ghostbusters is there are these parapsychology professors at Columbia University, and they are called to a haunting at a at the public library, and they discover finally and decisively that ghosts are real. And they kind of decide that, hey, we could maybe spin this off into a business. And around the same time, one of them gets fired for gross negligence and kind of abusing Actually, his... all of them got fired. They, they, right, they all got kicked they out. They all got fired. Because they're linked together. Uh, so they decide to start this business and on a shoestring budget to try to turn what they know of parapsychology, because there also seems to be a rise in ghost activity in Manhattan, and turn it into, we're going to make a job out of getting rid of ghosts for people. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, uh, apparently like, the information they gathered from that seeing the, a real ghost was enough information for them to figure out the containment system and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then yep. hilarity ensues. And hilarity ensues. <laughs> yep. It was a hit, grossed $295 million, which at the time was the highest grossing comedy uh, ever at that point. It was just just blew things out of the water. And the studio did not have great expectations for it. No. And in fact, it was the highest grossing until I think it lasted for like five years until Home Alone came out. Mm. So well, that was the one that, that knocked off. Home Alone off. was in the damn theater for over a freaking year, so yeah, that I didn't know. surprise <laughs> me. I know, really. That's like cheating almost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was initially conceived by Dan Aykroyd, and he saw it as a project starring himself and John Belushi. So yeah. quick pour one out for John Belushi there. Yeah, yep, makes yep, sense. Yep. Blues Brothers, SNL. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were already a great team. Uh, and Aykroyd, by the way, he's like a big paranormal believer. Oh, yeah, been. his whole his, family thing is, right? Yeah, his grandfather was into paranormal research and stuff. Like, yeah. He really kind of, he believes this stuff. There, his initial concept was that he and John Belushi, which I almost like Ghostbusters in space here, they would have adventures through time and space battling supernatural threats. Yeah. And it was a very high concept, but a lot of things changed. So first in 82, obviously Belushi passed 
passed away. And that's when he brought in Harold Ramis. Uh, he was hired to rewrite. At first, make it more financially viable so it's not traveling through time and space <laughs> and make it a smaller film that just took place in New York City. And that was really where this thing kicked off. Do you know that uh, Ramis, he did an estimate of how much the original script would cost back in 82. Oh, back in 83, okay. he said it would cost something like $300 million to make. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> it was like super long and involved. He's like, there's no way. And this was in mid-80 dollars too, not like modern dollars. Right, yeah. I remember hearing that the original script was like a damn phone book. Yeah, it, it was. wasn't, it, you know, just a regular hundred and whatever some is, odd yeah. minute script. We had alluded to that a little bit back in our Blues Brothers backtrack because Ackroyd wrote that script and it was also a phone book. Like he just writes yeah. and writes and writes. He can't stop himself. You got to pare it down into something else. It's probably drug fueled. Wow. As <laughs> <laughs> a Stephen King, right? He was like, you know, you take coke and write like a novel in a week. <laughs> well, we all know it as the Ghostbusters today. That's actually what Ackroyd wanted to call it. However, there was a name problem because another studio owned the rights to the title Ghostbusters because there was a 70s kid show called Ghostbusters two words, the Ghostbusters, right? right? Ah. Initially, they thought about maybe changing it to be the Ghost Stoppers. Terrible. The yeah. Ghost Smashers. Awful, awful, awful. awful. <laughs> Luckily, Eckroyd was adamant about it. He loved Ghostbusters, and they made an arrangement. They purchased the rights to use Ghostbusters. Oh, and, that how they did it? And the rest of that is history. I think they said that they made this arrangement, but the way they do finances, they ended up not actually paying for it, ultimately, because they it cooked the book, so they didn't make enough money based on what it cost to make the film. Anyway, it wouldn't be the same without that title. You want a bit Ghost Smashers You shirt. know, I mean, and that's not the only time that they had issues with the title Ghostbusters. I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but there was a bunch of controversy around the cartoons later on that happened. Oh, right. Yep. Mm. Yep. Between the, the Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters. Apparently Ghostbusters, <laughs> the name is a difficult thing to be able to use in Hollywood. But it's such yep. a perfect name though. So I couldn't see how they could go with something else. I'm, I'm glad they ended up with it. Well, I mean, we, we feel like it's a perfect name now because we love the movie so much, but had it been called Ghost Smashers or something like that? I don't know. You might have enjoyed that. Maybe. You don't know. In, in a parallel you're, universe. There's no way for you to know that you wouldn't like that because you never got that opportunity. This, uh, this is, I don't know. Anyway, okay. It just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> Point taken. And think of the song. <laughs> Go Smashers! I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the same amount of syllables. <laughs> just sounds weird. Well, we had said that they rewrote the script to move it to New York City and stop trying to you know yep. travel around this time and space. Mo, you grew up in New York in Manhattan. Yeah. I have visited and the headquarters that they picked was a real firehouse. Oh, yeah. Right there in downtown New York. After we saw the movie, we had all had to make like the Mecca trip to Tribeca to go see this firehouse. And let me tell you, it's there. It sits there. It looks, it's it's a real firehouse. It's actually an active firehouse too. Yeah. And we look at it, so that's the Ghostbusters building. And that was just something we did <laughs> after school one day. So did they shoot the interiors in the same building? No, they did shoot the interiors in the studio. Stage. Yeah, it was all yeah, studio. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. 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 It was just an exterior thing. Because there's no way they're tearing out an active firehouse. Oh, no, 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 Taking no, the yeah. guts out of that thing to shoot a movie. No. You know, the first time I visited Manhattan, I did like the Ghostbusters tour myself. So I yeah. went, I found the firehouse and I saw that. Cool. I found Dana Barrett's apartment building, which is just off of Central Park. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went and I found the, uh, I went to the library with like oh, the, yeah. the, the main the library that has the mm -hmm. lion statues out front from the opening scene. Because all those things, you watch Ghostbusters so many times and you're like, I know that place. I know that place. Yeah. I, it was just so cool to put it in an iconic city like Manhattan. John, you're talking about like how, uh, you know, Ramis had to rewrite it 
shit and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, it also turns out that they had like no time to make this movie because when they got the green light for it, okay, part of the agreement was they had to be done in time for the following summer season. Oh, clock was ticking. So they had a, literally a year to put this movie together. Mm. I mean, today, I mean, hell, it takes like 10 years to make a movie now. They actually did from finishing the script to shooting to getting it out there in a year, which to me, that is amazingly fast time. I mean, most shooting, though, is done like in a matter of months. Most principal photography is done very quickly. This was finishing script, too. You know, and, and Ghostbusters was a really effect-heavy film as well. Right, for a time, sure. especially. One of the first comedies that used that much special effects. And they said all of it, a lot of it was kind of groundbreaking stuff, and they got all those effects done in 10 months. So yeah. that means they got a lot of the shooting early, mm-hmm. and then effects started early on. So they were probably working in parallel to, to meet that oh, one-year deadline, to. I would expect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have to wait on one thing to do another. Like, they the whole to. thing doesn't have to be filmed and then you start doing effects you yep, can film yep. parts and then do effects so yeah. but I, th- I think the most brilliant part of this movie was the way they marketed it especially in new york i don't know if you guys remember but back then like all i remember is before the summer before the movie started the summer in the spring buses started having the ghostbuster symbol on it and that was it just the symbol just the symbol i'd heard that right and didn't say yeah, what it no, was no words Nothing, just a symbol everywhere and on signs. And was like, what the hell is this thing? That might have been a localized thing because here in places like in Florida, they, they didn't have that kind of marketing. You would see posters maybe. That was about it. Okay. Well, maybe they were like, they premiered in New York or something. So they're trying to raise a lot of buzz for it because all I know is that all of us were trying to figure out what the hell that thing was. We thought it was an advertisement for like a product or we had no idea. You were living there at the time. This was oh, the yeah, time yeah. it came out. This was, I was oh, in high okay. school. So you're yep. talking in Manhattan. That's how they were marketing. Okay, neat. And then suddenly, like, they were like, oh, then all of a sudden, the, then it started showing, like, a date under it is the next signs that came out. So it's Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and a date. We're like, okay. You know, then we kind of figured it was a movie. And then finally, they started doing the real publicity. But by then, everyone was so interested in knowing what the hell it was that mm-hmm. it was, I think that was a pretty brilliant way of marketing it in New York, especially. Well, on the marketing front, you remember in the film, they do this TV commercial where they're like, we're ready to believe you, right? Mm-hmm. And all the guys are there. And there's 800 number they actually had that 800 number up and running you could call it and yeah. hear a pre-recorded like it was real like it was a real business you could hook up with yeah but they had to stop that because they had so many calls because back in the day 800 numbers they had to pay for all the calls coming in oh right so this cost is part of their advertising budget <laughs> yeah they had so many they stopped it after a few weeks they just ah. had so many people calling in on it because I remember hearing about it as a kid. I never actually got to hear it because every time I called, it actually got a busy signal. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, as much money as it made, one little nugget that I saw, but I'm not sure if it's actually true. We were talking a little bit, George. They said that Bill Murray, there's rumors that he didn't actually make any money ultimately on the film. But there's conflicting evidence, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I went and uh, when I saw you put that note in the card, I was like, that, that doesn't sound doesn't right sound from right, what I know does about it? Murray. No. He made money even on his other films that he had little bit parts in. $7,000 there, $9,000 here, and they became big films later, but he made money on them. Mm-hmm. I know people who are actors in the industry, even if you go in for just day wages and stuff like that, the bare minimums, you get something. So him not making mm-hmm. anything on the movie didn't make any sense. So I went back and looked and he has made several interview mentions of this fact that it's not true and that over the entire franchise, he's made over $6 million, It's put his kids through college, <laughs> different things like that. So now, I think it's kind of an urban legend that he didn't make any money on the Ghostbusters film. Uh, you know, in much the same way, you you know, there's urban legends about 
people died because of curses on a set or things of that nature. I think ah, it's, I think it's deal. just something that somebody said somewhere and it sounded cool. So it got spread and became a whole thing. Well, I also heard that, well, again, it's probably like you said, urban budget, but the reason why he didn't make any money off the film, which he obviously did was because they also financed his next movie, which was a drama. He went to star in that. Yeah, and they talk about that one in um, one of these articles that I was reading about that the whole thing was for, he didn't take any money on Ghostbusters. So they would promote and mm-hmm. produce his next film. And he categorically said, no, that's not true. Okay. That's a good story though. <laughs> I mean, they did agree to help promote his next film, but it wasn't in lieu of his contract on Ghostbusters. See, you never let a fat get in the way of a good story. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that, that's just a waste of a good story. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I think it's not going out on a limb to say that all three of us love this film. Oh yeah. It's a cornerstone of Gen X culture. I, I want to, before we get out of this first segment, think about, do you remember when you first saw Ghostbusters, what was this initial impact on you? And I want to start with you, Mo. You were living in Manhattan at the time. So oh, yeah. really curious. Yeah. What was that experience? Do you remember it? <laughs> so it was funny because um, we, we had gotten to the theater and the option we had was to go see the movie and it had already started. Like we had gotten there right when it, the time was for a start. So when I first saw the movie, I never saw the library scene at the beginning. Oh, okay. You missed that. I totally missed that. So I saw the rest of the movie and it was kind of cool though. Cause then eventually we went back and saw it again and saw the library scene. I was like, Oh, that was pretty cool. I kind of bummed that we missed it the first time, but you know, that's also back in the day we could walk into the middle of a movie and sort of hang out for the next showing. You could easily walk in right? <laughs> and just mm-hmm. sort of just not leave and stay for the next one was what we did. But yeah, I yeah. totally remember seeing it and I was cracking up, especially, I mean, at the age, you know, what was I like 15 or something like that, 16 minute time and the humor I definitely could appreciate at that age. Oh know? yeah. Yep. That's right. This man has no dick. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, George? Do you remember when you first saw it? No, I I don't. Um, I don't know uh-huh. that I actually saw it in the theater when it was. Oh, really? oh, okay. I think there's a stronger, a better than average chance that I saw it on VHS later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only 13 when it came out. So it would have been right in that weird era of not having a car, but being <laughs> right. old enough to go see movies. Sure. And so right, I would right. have had to ask mom to take me. And I just don't remember that. I'm, if I did, I would have gone and seen it with a friend or something like that. Because back then, I didn't care to go see movies by myself. I don't think this is a movie that she would have gone and seen with <laughs> <Right>. me, just <laughs> based on the titling and everything, ghosts and scary right, stuff. Right, right. Seems silly. I, right, well, yeah. you know, she's not into ghost stuff. And if she would have seen ghosts, she would have thought horror. Oh, not that it's funny, but she would have think, oh, it's a scary movie. I don't want to see it. Right. right. Um, <laughs> totally not. Like we were talking about earlier, the experience of marketing that Mo had in New York was definitely not what was in places like here in Tallahassee, Florida. There, here it would have just been movies and some trailers on TV or you know posters, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't remember going to see it for the first time. I don't remember the first time I watched it. I just remember watching it over and over and over again. Sometime yeah. after the first time I saw it, <laughs> I remember vividly when I first saw it because it was the first and only time that I had gone for a summer to spend with someone out of state. We had some relatives in Wisconsin, and I went and spent like three weeks, I think with this family in Wisconsin. And uh, and we knew them. They'd visit us in Florida and gone to Disney. And so they're like, why don't you have John come and visit us in the summer? I'm like, sure. They have the equivalent of Disney there, right? No, they don't. They just have <laughs> cheese and wide open spaces. All they have in Wisconsin. <laughs> Sorry, Wisconsin folks. We love you. But but Ghostbusters came out and I knew nothing about it. I just knew it was supposed to be a funny movie. I remember it was a double bill with Ghostbusters and the Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think I remember you talking about that before. Yeah, it was one of those theaters where you said, Mo, you could go in and you could just pay one price and sit all day. 
Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so I watched Ghostbusters. Gay. Yeah, it's a Don Knotts Western. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to think like that's just a weird mix of movies. Yep. <laughs> it's just the reels they had at the theater, I'm sure. It was. Yeah, they had those two films in the marquee. And I remember I saw it and I was so captivated by the film. I loved everything about it. I'm into like paranormal, supernatural. You make fun of my Bigfoot fascination and stuff. I loved everything <laughs> about it. And I'm like, I'm going to sit here and watch it again. But to do that, I had to sit and watch the Apple Dumpling Gang first because they <laughs> they TikTok them. They toggle. They watch one and then the other. So I had to watch the whole Apple Dumpling Gang to watch Ghostbusters again. So those wow. two movies are inextricably tied. And I thought I had discovered something amazing because I've traveled to Wisconsin and visiting family. And I'm oh, like, I discovered this Wisconsin cool film. <laughs> and then I got home and I couldn't wait to tell people about the Ghostbusters I discovered. And they all had T-shirts and backpacks. I'm like, oh, time passed here, too, while I was gone. You also discovered it. So that's kind of the first time I realized that pop culture permeated outside of my bubble. It's all over the place. Mm. And all my friends also had been captivated by Ghostbusters just by being and gone to see it over and over again. So it was a great, great kind of touchstone as a kid. I remember that time in my life and I remember Don Knotts in a cowboy hat. They go together with Ghostbusters for me. <laughs> it's a weird association. It is. <laughs> when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about the great actors and talent and people behind the camera and in front of the camera that made this film so so, so amazing. Stick around. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. There's something strange in the neighborhood. Oh, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! Each sold separately. Have no fear. Thank you, Beth and Spengler are here. So are these ghosts. They've got eggplant. We've been screwed. Now what? They puffed marshmallow man. Let's show this pile of dessert who's boss. Activating Chrono Blasters. We ain't afraid of them. Ghosts. Peter Venkman, Ectoplasm, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and other figures eat sold separately. Ghostbusters, new from Kenner. I think it's very important that we have this segment where we're going to talk about the talent and the actors, the people who created the film and talk about their individual roles. You're not going to have that discussion without starting with what I call the big three of Ghostbusters. That's Murray Aykroyd and Ramis. Mm -hmm. And each one of their roles Mm -hmm. have a different segment of your view into the world. And they're extremely important to the overall telling of the story. So, Peter Vinkman, first and foremost, he's just a con man. That's all he is. I don't know how he became a professor, yep. a doctor, because yeah. he's Dr. Vinkman, and he talks about that all the time. I'm Dr. Vinkman. You know, how his character of a con man, maybe he conned his way into a doctorate. I have no yep. idea. Yep. <laughs> Ray Stance from Dan Aykroyd. I mean, his is just the... 
he's like the wide-eyed kid who's just happy to be discovering all this cool right. stuff about paranormal. And I think, right. John, yeah. you mentioned earlier that Aykroyd being a real believer in this in his real life, I think that's why that character is the way yeah. he is. He wrote that right for himself. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then Harold Ramis Spengler, oh, that's by oh, far goodness. the best of the three. <laughs> Spengler is by far my favorite of the big three. Oh, he's hilarious. He's spectacular. He's he's so awkward, yet so lovable and mm-hmm. just so friendly. And he's super serious about that stuff well, he's super serious about. I don't know if he's friendly. You, you don't think well, so? He's friendly as he's, best he can be. How about that? He, right. He's trying to be. I think he's the socially awkward nerd who right. got beat up in high school an awful lot. And now everything is just deadpan with no emotion. He reminds me an awful lot of that comic from the same era. And I can't remember his name right now Stephen Wright Stephen Wright yeah. yep, yep, yep. he had that same deadpan kind of thing of mm-hmm. just here's the facts ma'am and that's what Spengler was I just loved him for it yeah for I sure like molds and spores I mean he, yeah. he has such eclectic likes and, and hobbies and stuff and it's perfect because he knows all the science behind this stuff and how and why it works and the three of them together I mean obviously they added on the fourth Ghostbuster later which we'll talk about which basically they just hired a guy to help them out because they needed more help but those three together, different personalities, like you said, and they mesh together, but yet they didn't blend together because they were very different people and they kind of didn't get along great necessarily, mm-hmm. but they perfectly complemented and created what they needed to create this Ghostbusters franchise. Yeah, like there's no question in my mind if they had made a scene where Spengler and Venkman had gotten into a fight, I'd have believed it because oh, those yeah. two characters didn't like each other at all. Like Spengler, he was very distraught at even working with him. He was like, the guy's a con man, a quack. I think he felt offended that Vinkman was a part of his same universe, but Stance mm. was the glue that brought the two of them together. He was the glue. Good point. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And plus, they, they kind of needed him because he was the only one that could like relate to people. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. He was the showman. Yeah. yeah, the salesman, the con man. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was the front man. Was one of the lines that she says that like you're not like a scientist, you're more like a game show host. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. Yeah, he was, he was very much the face. You know, when they were in court, you know, kind of stating their case, he was the one that stepped up and talked to the judge and everything. While the other two guys were out of their element, there are different mm-hmm. parts of the film where each one of them absolutely shines. They couldn't have accomplished what they did without having all of their skill sets together. Right. So they were absolutely the core of of the Ghostbusters. But at the time, and even today, looking back. What a just a rock star supporting cast that they had along with them (laughs) to flesh out this film. Sigourney Weaver starting out as Dana Barrett. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Did you hear about her audition? No. Apparently for her audition, she didn't say any dialogue. She just acted out the part where she turns into a dog. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then apparently (laughs) Ivan Reitman looked at her and said, never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you could do that, you could do everything else probably. (laughs) Well, and she was probably on the female side of actors. She was probably an A-list casting at that point. so, she was coming off of Alien, which was a mm-hmm. huge blockbuster yeah. for her at the time. To get her as a supporting cast member, even though she was essentially a co-lead, in my opinion. Like, I know she's yeah, not she one really of the was. Ghostbusters, but she was really a co-lead. And yeah. She was paired with Vinkman with the whole romance storyline. So her character was essential to the story. Getting her for that role, that that's a huge coup. 
Yeah. Especially because nobody mm-hmm. knew her for comedy stuff at that point. And I think it was important for her, too, to do that, to branch out. And she probably didn't want to be pigeonholed as like, oh, I'm right. in the horror and stuff. And she did that. And she showed that, oh, I can be a comedic actress. You know, and mm-hmm. that ultimately she parlayed that into other things, you know, Galaxy Quest and other things. Mm-hmm. She's a very versatile actress. And this was her showing that and showing it very, very well. Yeah. I mean, she started out as Dana Barrett, but eventually became the gatekeeper to Rick Moranis's. <laughs> Lewis Tully, who became oh, our key master, Reyes. ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what a national treasure, that guy. Yeah. He's completely underrated as a comedic actor. He never gets the credit. I mean, I know he had the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew mm-hmm. Up the Dog, whatever all that stuff was. Mm-hmm. But long before he had those starring roles. Bob and Doug McKenzie, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Second City, like his whole Second City Second career. City. Oh, yeah. Right. This guy deserves so much credit. And, you know, we know now that he's essentially completely retired from right. acting. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. But, to go back and see Ghostbusters and see him and his character. And I know we're going to talk about the sequel later on, but he embodied that character so well. I cannot envision anyone else then or now playing that same character. Yeah. Ironically, I read that initially that role of Lewis Tully was going to be John Candy. He was intended to play that role. That would have been such a a completely miscast. You need someone who is small and weak and vulnerable to become that monster, right? To become yeah. Candy's great. He's a great physical actor. He's a great comedic but actor. But not for that role. But not for that yep. role. Not for that yeah, role. Well, apparently the reason why Candy was basically dropped out was because he didn't like the way the role was written and he wanted to uh, change it and make it like this bigger role with this guy's big German accent and blah, 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 you know, which they're like, okay, that's not the He character. wanted to be John Candy. I'm yeah, sorry. Exactly. What we need is Rick Moranis here. Exactly. That's the character that and we so need. So he's like, yeah. okay, you know, we'll move on from that. Well, and it's not like he didn't have any history either. I mean, he had already been in a film with Murray and Ramis in Stripes. Yes. So he had yep. worked with them and had an expanded role in that movie that was originally just supposed to be a very small role. And so maybe he felt like he had enough juice with his star on the rise in Hollywood and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that they said, OK, we'll, we'll move on and find somebody else and to find Rick Moranis. Sometimes things happen for a reason. And that worked out perfectly. Yeah. 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 Sigourney Weaver was basically one of the female leads and mm-hmm. the other slightly less important, but no less talented and amazing was Annie Potts as the secretary, Janine Melvin. Nits. Yeah. Oh, she she made sarcasm <laughs> into a language. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, like every the way she just spoke was just, just every time she was in a scene, it was funny. So disaffected. Yeah. So she perfectly paired with Spengler's character so mm-hmm. much that from like scene one of them talking together when she's interviewing for the job and mm-hmm. everything and they're yeah. all walking in, you're so relationshiping or shipping as the young people have yeah. called it recently. <laughs> you're like, okay, those two are getting together. You know, they're going to be romantically linked forever. It was like the, the craziest, like there was chemistry with no chemistry between them. And that was <laughs> right. the chemistry. Like they were both so flat and dry. You're like, these are an obvious pair, right? They're just so right. <laughs> And how she went from being bored and not getting any calls to suddenly business was picking up. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she grew into the role and the character grew into the job of like, I'm a receptionist for these nutcases to I am the important hub for mm-hmm. what has become this big deal in town. And it just works so well. Yeah. She had that New York effect down pat. Like it was like, yeah. Ghostbusters, yeah. what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that whole attitude, like, 
I don't give a shit. Right. When she's even interviewing like Ernie, you know, his character, she's like, you know, do you believe in blah, 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 you know, and she's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, just didn't care. Yep. Well, it's like when Spingler's telling her the line that John was saying earlier, I collect spores, mold, and fungus. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. really? I find that very interesting. It's just that whole yeah. deadpan line that she just chameleons <laughs> off with him and goes I off into her own I couldn't give two thing. shits about that, but whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, Mo, you mentioned the fourth Ghostbuster, Ernie Hudson, who was oh, yeah. uh, played Winston Z Moore was interviewed by Annie Potts when they were looking for help because yeah. business was picking up and they were exhausted. And they're like, we got to get some more help in here. And, and basically he's like, if you have a paycheck, I'll believe anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing was originally that was supposed to be Eddie Murphy. Imagine Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. in that role. I, I'm so glad it wasn't. It's wrong. Yeah. Right. But apparently he couldn't do it because he had a contract to make another movie, which turned out to be Beverly Hills Cop. So he didn't lose anything. <laughs> really. That was a, that was a win-win. We got yeah. Beverly Hills Cop and know, we got I'm, Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were people who were such big personalities in the 80s. Eddie Murphy being one of the main people. He came out of SNL, just like some of the oh, others. He was huge. He was a monster huge at that monster, point. Monster, you know, he's hitting Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. He had just done Trading Places and... Uh, the uh, 48 Hours movie, oh, I think, yeah, was yeah, right yeah. around yep. that same time as well. So His star was on the rise. The only misstep he made during that era was probably Best Defense. So mm, I yeah. think that... <laughs> Pluto Nash. Uh, Pluto Nash was later <laughs> it was a little on. Later. That's a nice yeah, it was later, later, but that was yeah. another misstep. <laughs> but yeah, it was a terrible misstep in the 90s. But I think because he was so well-known and so widely popular with his comedy specials and albums and everything else, he would have been completely wrong as a supporting cast member. Yes, true. Too much. Exactly. He was too much. Ernie Hudson was almost an unknown. Yeah, I had no idea who he was. Yeah, I love that, George. I feel the same way because Ernie Hudson was the average Joe. He was Mm -hmm. the everyman. And so in in a lot of ways, he was like you. You could project yourself into this guy who was in the mix with these crazy nutcases. Mm -hmm. And how would you feel? How would you react? And it was kind of like this avenue into you were part of the Ghostbusters because Ernie was just a, just a regular way. guy just like and me, he didn't which really I, believe him either at the first right it was it was endearing I love that about it and you're right Eddie Murphy would have been too much of yeah. a character to to map myself onto to be Eddie Murphy you know, with could him. not have reined himself in to let the no, other people no. shine yeah right yeah you've been picking up on it too big yep 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 I think it's important though we've talked an awful lot about the on-camera talent without the person behind the camera Ivan oh. Wright yeah. I don't think this film is the same film. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I know that Ramus wrote it and that, you know, other people had conceived it and all this. Without Reitman, though, I don't think it becomes the movie that it is today. No, no, he, I agree. I mean, he's at the great pace and he just has mm-hmm, such a natural mm-hmm. comedy directing skill. Yeah, that- there's certain directors that have a fingerprint. We talked about John Hughes films before. Mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. can look at a John Hughes film and go, oh, there's a John Hughes yeah. film. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's a pacing and an, a tone and an attitude. And I don't think it's just what's on camera, what's on film. He brings a certain attitude and tone to the set that lets yeah. people you know, be who they are. And, you know, Reitman had already worked with many of these guys. He did Meatballs and Stripes oh, yeah. and Animal House. I mean, right. this, here's, here's a guy who knew how to put together a fun, lighthearted comedy that was a success. And yeah. not just a comedy, but an ensemble comedy. Because yeah, exactly. Stripes and that. Animal House, great point. Yeah. those yeah. are, it's not just one, like, I know Belushi shines in Animal House and I know Murray shines in Stripes, but without Ramus and without the other people, John you Candy, don't you know, have, yep, yeah. all those other guys. Yeah, you don't for sure. have the same film and he was good at getting 
major personalities to blend well together exactly. in a comedy. That's a great yep. point. Yep. He did it. I think it's awesome, by the way, we're, we're talking about Afterlife coming out. His son, Jason, is directing the Afterlife mm-hmm. sequel, yeah. which is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's just one of those things like, yes, the universe is lining up. It's just right. <laughs> like it ought to be. That's yeah, really cool. Things are what they should you know, be now. In addition to being the director, you know, as always happens when you're on set and you're, you're the boss, he actually picked up a few little roles that you didn't see in the film. He was the voice of Slimer. Mm, <laughs> the the right? little free-floating <laughs> phantasm, making, whatever he was. <laughs> making the eating yeah. sounds, whatever. <laughs> and he was the voice of Zool. I'm Zool. There's no Dana, only Zool. Right. Just, right. You got to figure, like, those are like non-voices. Like, the one is growling and the other is just like noises, like, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. It's just <laughs> make noises. They probably made a scratch track. and like, just keep it. It's Ivan. Just yeah. let him be. It, it works. Well, they were running out of time. They were trying oh, to cast people for were those they? voice roles. <laughs> just let But they were it. running out of time and they had him having done the temporary work and they said you know what we we just don't have time to get somebody in here and do this the way that we think so we're just going with this and that's what ended up in the film it it happens so often that just something that's organically comes about on set ends up in the movie and being one of the best parts of the movie that line where he delivers a zool dana's not here only Zool. yeah you still remember that to this day oh, yeah mm-hmm. yep. oh, absolutely yeah oh before we get out of this segment let me just throw this one other little factoid out here do you know that yep. michael keaton was actually supposed to be bill murray's role after belushi another like he's a great batman he's no he's oh, not he's a great comedian mr oh, yeah. mom yeah Great. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Great comedy stuff. <laughs> Beetlejuice. Absolutely. Yeah. But but he, he's not a Vinkman. Yeah. But apparently what happened was that Bill Murray approached them saying he was interested in the role and they asked Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton like, kind of bowed out very, very gracefully. That's the rumor anyway, that he bowed wow. out and let Murray really? come in and take it. Wow. Well, again, the planets aligned. It worked yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Ghostbusters, spectacular. It spawned a franchise of other sequels and films. When we get back from the break, we're going to run those down. The good ones and the bad ones and whatever's in between. (laughs) Stick around. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at genxgrownup.com. On New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to call? Suck in the cuts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters spawned so many sequels, cartoons, all these amazing things that came after it. But just as a little factoid, you know, Ghostbusters had a 97% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 97. You know what I want to say? Feels low. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with 3% of America? That's exactly what I right. Know. Yep. That feels low to me. Fucking bullshit. Those are 3% idiots. You know, that, the original <laughs> Ghostbusters is it's one of those lightning in a bottle scenarios. You had just the right people with just the right story, with just the right tone and attitude. 
attitude that it was inevitable. You, look, you had to try to make sequels, but how yeah. could you ever reproduce that? And they never really have, but oh, they absolutely tough. tried. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the first one was obviously Ghostbusters 2, right? Original mm-hmm. cast. It came out, I think, what, four years later or something along those lines? Into the 80s, yeah. Yeah, yep. I think Rotten Tomatoes gave that one like a 53%. Yeah. I say one thing yeah. with Ghostbusters 2, it wasn't nearly as good as the first one, but I liked the premise behind it, that they were bankrupt, they are doing parties. I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting, but then the story just didn't do well. I think just didn't carry itself mm-hmm. well. So yeah. I think we're going to have some fun discussing this one. And of the sequels, this is probably the one we should discuss fairly in depth because it was a direct sequel. Yes, was, you know, just a few years mm-hmm. right after. Yep. I really, really like Ghostbusters 2. I don't care that it only got a 53% Rotten Tomatoes score. I really enjoyed almost everything about Ghostbusters 2. I enjoyed, Mo, like you said, the whole juxtaposition of they had this big mm-hmm. high at the end of the original movie. They saved New York. And then you start off and they're doing kids parties. They're basically mm-hmm. the balloon clown guys, <laughs> you know, and whatnot. And they've kind of split off and doing their own thing. You know, some of them are trying to keep the Ghostbusters name up others like Vinkman and Egon have moved on and whatnot open the store very important the yeah. bookstore mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right yeah. well Vinkman was doing his book the public access show Vinkman had wrote a book yeah. and was on the public access show with the oh, psychic oh yes that's right yeah she was like it was really great funny like, funny so, stuff it was a public access show kind of thing though it was great <laughs> Egon had gone back to doing science stuff and everything and moved on from them and Hudson was staying with Ray, which I thought was a good pairing, but Dana Barrett was back in this film, mm-hmm. and I liked that jerk guy that she worked for at the museum. I oh, loved his whole character. <laughs> he was great. I love the bad guy being the former ghost of the Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. you yeah. Know, Dude, yeah. character and coming out of the painting. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the slime, the pink slime squirting it all over the toasters <laughs> and the Statue of Liberty Statue to of get Liberty. her to walk around <laughs> with, the, with the Nintendo joystick. That was awesome. <laughs> I probably saw Ghostbusters 30 times and I probably saw Ghostbuster 2 three times. Like, I, yeah, the things you talk about sound interesting and I remember them, but I don't remember them as fondly. Like it didn't feel as magical to me. Maybe it's because I just didn't see it as much because it didn't grab me or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it didn't grab me because I didn't see it as much. I don't know yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which one is true. I mean, I enjoyed the second movie. Don't get me wrong. I don't know. Like you said, it just didn't have that same magic as the first one. It's not a 97 percenter like the original right. is. But for me, it's closer to a 78 to 80% mm. as opposed to the 53 that oh, it has. Yeah, yeah. On I think 53 is a, is a crime. Not to mention, <laughs> it has one of my favorite cameo spots of the 80s before cameo spots were really that kind of a thing. Which one? Bobby Brown gets to open the door for the Ghostbusters oh. as they're going into the governor's house after all the that's shit's right. gone down. That's right, that's right. And he's like, yeah. hey, the Ghostbusters! <laughs> Bobby Brown, wow. <laughs> because he had the theme song for the movie and he wanted a part in the movie, so they stuck him in somewhere. <laughs> there you that go. was never a written thing in the script. No. You know and it was a speaking role at that, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the nice thing about Ghostbusters 2 that I do like, and you touched on a little bit, George, is that it is a redemption tale, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, they're on top of the world. They did such a good job that they made themselves obsolete. Mm-hmm. And now they're scattered to the wind and they're struggling, but they become relevant again. So you have that redemption of, see, we are important. The things we did mattered and they get brought back together. So that's the part that, I, that always resonated most with me. So it didn't feel as much like a comedy, though it is a comedy and yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's more of a 
I, I feel bad seeing them down and out at the beginning. Like, I th- oh, yeah. that's distasteful to me because I want them to be having a good time and successful riding on the high of what happened in the previous film. And they didn't get to enjoy that. Maybe they did off screen, but I didn't like not seeing them enjoying the fruits of their labor. I thought they positioned it as a redemption story, which I thought was great for the mm-hmm. characters. I mean, you know, they, they start off down and out and then all hell starts breaking loose and nobody wants to believe them. But they're like, hey, yep. you got to go. And they're talking to the governor. And we he's told like, you. Yeah. All right. They saved our asses once. Let's pull him out of jail. (laughs) (laughs) The thing I really liked about the second movie, though, was that, you know, growing up in New York, like one of the things about New York growing up there is that, yeah, you stab your neighbor for whatever reason or whatever. But if there's a crisis, the city really pulled together. Like when there was the transit strike crisis, people Mm -hmm. would drive their cars and pick up people and take them where they needed to go. The blackout happened. You know, you didn't really hear about the big riots and looting and all that stuff in New York City because they really didn't have a whole lot of it. But to me, at the end of the movie, that was like such a New York scene. Like when Mm -hmm. Statue of Liberty is walking down and everybody's cheering and yelling. I'm like, yeah, I totally (laughs) see that happening. Like that's the way it would have happened. (laughs) Well, and they all, you know, they had to start singing because the whole point of the film and, you know, we gave the premise of the original i'll give just brief you know there's vigo the guy he's he's being born out of the river of slime and it's all the bad new yorker emotions which we all understood that too (laughs) so they all had to then come together like you're talking about mo and start giving out positive vibes so that the slime would take on a positive reinforcement Mm -hmm. and that's what eventually killed vigo the ghost out of the painting and everything and them all singing together with the Statue of Liberty crashing <laughs> yeah. the now flaming torch down onto the roof of the museum. I mean, I, yes, it's silly. Yes, it's stupid. But, but it was great. <laughs> it, was, it was an emotional high at it that was. point. It was a feel-good moment. It was the redemption moment for them yeah. in that scene. And especially at the end, you know, they spray the little gnome bad guy from the museum. They spray him with the pink slime, and he's, then he's such a positive guy. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love that. That's probably the thing you love so much about it is probably the thing I like least about it is I hate any film where love is the thing that saves the day. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you're married, sir. What the hell? You- <laughs> no, love doesn't save the day. Action saved the day. But literally it was good feelings is how you fought the evil. And I'm like, oh, oh, love saved me. No, no, no. Someone saved you because they loved you. It wasn't wow. there. I, that's yeah, it. Well, love is I not mean, a weapon. The, but the, the positive feelings, you know, made the Statue of Liberty have a flaming torch that broke the thing. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that my was God. Cool. No, it's, <laughs> it makes me groan. <laughs> oh, who knew John was such a like oh I don't know what the right word is curmudgeon right. about this right. I thought I mean, George I was the curmudgeon was, right. we flipped my, the my script job. <laughs> well that was pretty much the end of the franchise for decades yeah essentially mm-hmm. but then in 2016 they made the interesting decision to ignore the oh. existing franchise oh and effectively, Why? not even reboot, like it was like a reboot slash remake slash reimagining. Yeah. With all female cast of great comedians. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kate McKinnon, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Leslie Jones as the oh. four Ghostbusters. Uh, and it's well reviewed. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 74. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's groaning. So mm. <laughs> let, let, let me, I have thoughts on this film. Okay. <laughs> I actually, I liked the film if it was not a Ghostbusters film was yeah. my first comment on it. I would agree but, with that. But yeah, so Mo, what do you think of this 2016 thing. I, I just, I, it's, 
what aggravates me the most are missed opportunities in movies. Mm-hmm. And I think if they would have made this a sequel somehow and yep. tied in the same characters and made the story kind of rich and tie back that way, I think it could have been a, a much, much better film. And I kept, and yep. I kept seeing that, wanting that. And yep. it, just, it yep. just was never there. And I'm like, so basically they just do cameos of the original cast and for no reason. It, was just, uh, it just seemed like yeah. such like, oh, gratuitous uh, cameos. Yeah, gratuitous. Yeah. That was a good word for it. Yeah. George, what about you? I heard you've grown into. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the type of person that if I watch a movie and I like it, I watch it probably 10 times. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love watching and rewatching movies. I guess I'm a VHS baby, so to speak. I, sure, you know, as soon sure, as you absolutely. get an opportunity to watch and rewatch film, because I want to learn and try and figure out why the writer did this or why the actor did that or why did they edit it this way. I, I love studying yeah. films. What made it good? Why is it? Why did you like it, right? This is a film that I saw once and never wanted to go back to it. And it wasn't because I felt they were crapping on the Ghostbusters legacy or anything like that. I just didn't really enjoy the film at all. I felt like it was formulaic. I felt like it was mm-hmm. predictable. I felt sure like it was, it was boring i actually remember falling asleep the one time i watched it <laughs> wow and an action comedy falling asleep is like the worst insult you can yeah give two of the four ghostbusters are i'm a big fan of melissa mccarthy and Kristen wig i love mm-hmm, both mm-hmm. of them a lot spectacular yep however to give this film a 74 and give ghostbusters 2 a 53 yeah. or whatever it was that's some mm-hmm. bullshit <laughs> there's no way this is a better film even though it's more modern and has better special effects there's no way it's a better film than Ghostbusters 2. Even if you take aside the Ghostbusters narrative, if you take them out of the universe, Ghostbusters 2 is simply just a better film. It's not great, but it's a better film than this is. This It's like the Rotten Tomatoes people just got these two flipped or misunderstood which one they were voting for or <laughs> yeah. something. I don't know what happened, but I'm not a yeah. fan of this movie. And it's not because of the thing that a lot of people were mad about. Don't turn my Ghostbusters into women. You remember the whole Battlestar Galactica thing right right. i didn't want to watch the the reimagined battlestar because i was that guy like starbucks a girl bullshit Ah!" i was completely proved wrong after that and so from that point forward i said i'm never going to let a gender bias get in the way of enjoying a piece of entertainment so when this came out i was like i'm all in i want to watch this and i want to love it and i didn't yeah and the fact that i went in trying to love it and couldn't (laughs) yeah i agree and i don't have a problem with them either switching it to female characters whatever of course what annoyed me was that they tried to replicate the original characters like they didn't try to anything original they didn't try to make the same types right same types were there and i'm like why did they do more with that because they thought if you did the same thing with different people you could replicate the magic and the problem is the magic wasn't the characters the magic was the actors. Was the actors. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And much like you were saying, Mo, my big thing with the 2016 film is it was unnecessarily a reboot out of the yeah. continuum of the original Ghostbusters. If only what they had done was said, this does take place decades later mm-hmm. and have these characters be somehow connected. Like mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. it's you know, a daughter or a niece or, you know, a goddaughter or something of the original Ghostbusters. Everything has been calm for decades and all of a sudden ghosts 
just spark up again. You could have had the cameos of the actors as their original characters, but they're like, you know, they're I'm too old for this shit right, kind of right, thing right. from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's got to be done. We'll pick up the mantle. Yeah. So they could have been spiritual and literal successors to the Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. still been connected and still done their own film. And it would have been a, a cohesive piece that was not only it did all the things that we've criticized, right? You would see the characters that we loved and the actors we loved reprising their roles. You would not have been repeating the characters. You'd have mm-hmm. had new characters that had a reason. Why is Kristen Wiig so much like Egon? Well, maybe she's his daughter or something. Then it right. would have made sense. You know, all that stuff would have worked. But instead, they just said, let's throw it all away and try to reboot. And they, again, Mo, you said it in a different way. Same reason. A missed opportunity. They didn't have to throw that legacy away. They could have continued it. Just Yeah. Didn't. yeah. It's lazy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the original Ghostbusters script and rewrite it. You know, modernize it and tweak it. And that's all they really did. You know, I, I think maybe justifiably in my rant about how, you know, I wish they had done the 2016 film better in many ways. I think this film coming up, this Ghostbusters Afterlife, takes some of the things I wish they'd done in 2016 and does it. So yeah. apparently, I mean, they're not telling us too much, but definitely mm-hmm. we know that some of the characters in this are related to the original Ghostbusters. We know that the young daughter, I think, is Spengler's granddaughter. Granddaughter. This one yeah. is fully connected. It, it takes place in the universe of Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and it looks like maybe it's going to do what we wanted. So what we're seeing is the legacy of this series that started in the early 80s. Here we are in 2021, still hitting the box office hard with a film that's connected back to the thing that absolutely struck gold. Let me tell you uh, the thing about the trailer that makes me, oh God, I want to like this movie. Like you said, George, like you want to go into it liking this one. The, the, <laughs> the thing in the trailer that makes me want to go into this movie liking it is the last part of the trailer when they call the number. Right. And, mm-hmm. and a mysterious figure picks it up and says, we're closed. You know, yeah, it's not like, mysterious. Oh God, no, you know see that. no, you're inside of Ray's bookstore. Yeah. We're closed. <laughs> that's all I had to hear was yep. Ackroyd going, we're closed. I'm like, there we go. We're connected. It's yep. fantastic. Yep. I've got a slightly different take on the trailer. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is not a Ghostbusters movie. I disagree. Okay, you got to expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's in the Ghostbusters universe. I know the characters have direct relations to the mm-hmm. Ghostbuster franchise, right? To the original actors. Ghostbusters at its heart is a comedy. Mm-hmm. This is coming across way more as a drama than it is a comedy. To me, that's why it's not really a Ghostbusters film. I'm not saying it's not going to yeah, be great. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not going to love it because I think I probably am. But a Ghostbusters movie, both one and two, in my opinion, they're comedies, not dramas. And I think this falls way more into the drama category. It seems darker, for sure. Definitely does. But we, we just said in the previous discussion, the way to do it right is to live in the universe and tell your own story. True. And that feels True. like what they're going to do here. I'm not disagreeing with you mm-hmm. on that. Yep, yep. It's going to be a tough pill a little bit for me to see it switch from a comedy to a drama. Hmm. Although they got some big comedy talent in it. Right, you got Paul Rudd in there. I do see George's point, though. I mean, the trailer, yeah. if you didn't have Ghostbusters in there at all, you'd be like, well, this is kind of a dark... You yeah, know, what is this, When right? the trailer starts, yeah. you don't know that's a Ghostbuster film, right. and I think they do that on purpose, yeah. mm-hmm. until they pull up the apron off of the Ecto-1. Mm-hmm. That's when you're like, oh! Yeah, <laughs> and he pulls out the traps out of the floorboards and stuff, Yeah, right? the trap out of the floorboard when she's moving the little panels around and stuff. But, yeah. I mean... I don't know. We'll see. I do like that Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things has a major role yeah. in this. I think he's a great young <laughs> oh, up and coming actor. Yep. And I know we've got some stuff we'll talk a little bit later uh, about <laughs> with Stranger Things and all uh, that everybody yep. who enjoys those two franchises probably knows already. But 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a good film. Yeah, it's not Finn Wolfhard's first time uh, getting some Ghostbusters outfit on because uh, he did that already. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about how Ghostbusters has kind of seeped into pop culture and merchandising and stuff uh, in our next segment. So hope you'll stick around. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. When ghosts come alive and rear their ugly heads, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Each told separately. Any ghosts in the museum? Follow me. Hi, guys. Meet my mommy, the mummy monster. Drop everything, Winston. Heads up, Bankman. Blast them. What a the real Ghostbusters new from Kenner. A franchise as big and successful as Ghostbusters is absolutely going to seep into pop culture in, in ways that you might not imagine. You mentioned earlier, George, that you know they were trying to get the name Ghostbusters back from that old kid show in the 70s, and that wasn't even the only struggle over the name, even after Ghostbusters time, there was struggle with the name between the other cartoons and stuff, the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, there's two cartoons that came out at the same time. One called <laughs> Ghostbusters, which yep. is not Ghostbusters franchise related. Oh, really? And the one that is Ghostbusters franchise related is called the real Ghostbusters. Oh, and that was a definite dig at the people. <laughs> there was some kind of way that they wormed their way into getting that name for their cartoon. Both cartoons aired at roughly the same time. They were both on TV. I'm not saying either one of them were good or great or anything, but <laughs> yeah, they were, they were Ghostbuster cartoons. What I didn't know until I did some research was there was a second Ghostbusters cartoon series from the Ghostbusters universe, and it was called Extreme Ghostbusters. What? Apparently, Never did that come out? It was like what you guys were talking about you would want in a continuing franchise. Let's keep it in the same universe, but introduce other characters. Mm -hmm. So in this one, there were a bunch of young people that were working with the Ghostbusters. And so there was like a kid in a wheelchair who was a tech genius, and there were these other little kids hmm. who did different roles and stuff. Okay. It only aired for one season, 40 episodes but I'm going to go back and take a look at it now just because I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious to find out why they extreme needed that one. Yeah. Ghostbusters. Huh. Extreme Ghostbusters. Extreme Ghostbusters. In New York, there's like Ray's Pizza and then there's the original Ray's and then there's the right. one and only Ray's right. yep. and then <laughs> yep. you know, exactly. the real Ray's. And <laughs> didn't Aykroyd, like not just in the movies, didn't he reprise his role at one point as Ray Stance somewhere? I think I remember that. Mm -hmm. He did. So he, um, it, I was trying to think of it when we were discussing this coming up yeah, and I was like, I remember it. him being in something that wasn't Ghostbusters, but as Ray Stance. Turns right. out it was the movie Casper yep. from nineteen ninety five. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't think I ever saw trying to get rid of his Which, cousins, you know, right? A better pairing, yeah. you can't imagine, right? You right, know exactly. I mean? <laughs> so, you know, the friendly ghost versus the Ghostbuster. I'm sure it was just a brief little scene. So did he bust Casper? I don't think so, because Casper went on to have a couple of sequels. But just neat little things like that, that the original movie was so well thought of that people who were fans of it wanted to use it in other things like Casper. Plug it in. Like, we, we want to be in the same continuity, right? Well, people embrace Ghostbusters like crazy. I mean, oh, yeah. we all go to different pop culture conventions and sci-fi conventions around. And much like you see, like, the, the Stormtroopers, you yeah. know, the 501st kind of thing, they're all wearing their... It's not uncommon to see a gang of people dressed up as Ghostbusters, like, anywhere you go. Like, it seems like any city, there's a subgroup, a club of Ghostbusters that adhere so, to the uniform yeah. and the props. There are quite and- a few of them. Most matter of fact, I've put a link in the card that I want you to share with our listeners. Okay. There's a Ghostbuster fan clubs of North America website. What? That lists them by state. Great. And you can go through and look. And like in Florida, there's two or three different. There's like Ghostbusters of North Florida. There's another Ghostbusters thing down in Midland or something like that. It said they're all over the place. I don't think they're a part of a national <laughs> okay. organization. Like John and I were in oh, no? a Star Trek club okay. that was a part of a national organization called okay. Starfleet. And that had right. rules and franchises and chapters and all that stuff. They seem to be like a loose their own thing, but they probably share information. Here's how you can build the gun and here's where you can get the jumpsuits and that kind of thing. So even the fan club is a ragtag group that's loosely affiliated with one another, (laughs) just like the Ghostbusters. How appropriate is that? I remember uh, when I was a kid, there was a great Ghostbusters video game that I played on my Atari 8-bit computer. I don't remember that one. What was the game? It came out on other things, the uh, Commodore and the VCS and other stuff. It had the theme in it. It had that Mm -hmm. right? It had the Ghostbusters theme and you were driving around town looking for buildings that were blinking red and then you go, you had to lay down a trap and you had to put up the two proton pack streams and catch the ghost in the trap and if he got away then the city would get more and more angry and you had to make sure you controlled <laughs> the city no. and it didn't get too hot with too much ghost activity That's funny. if you did then then you had the trouble it was almost like an adventure game and you could improve your ecto-1 and get new things and that kind of thing and speaking of the theme what about that i was gonna theme? say i was just oh about to say goodness. how did we yeah. not talk about the theme you just mentioned know, video game. we didn't talk about thing. ray parker was- jr <laughs> dancing in the music video with the other guys coming together in that little yeah. step the music dance video, they did right. down the street. Did you hear about that he got sued for that song? What? Oh, of course, How did yeah. He get sued? By Huey I think Lewis. Huey Lewis. Yeah, said because the, he said that the the background tone, the rhythms and beats and chord progression yeah. is all the same as is it new, drug new drug or something. A new drug. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I got it because I'm a huge Huey Lewis fan. I love Huey Lewis. I got to yeah. go back and listen to those two songs. Chord together progression and, and stuff very similar. Yeah. Wow. So he was sued. And it went on for yep. like a decade, and they did some sort of settlement outside of court. No one's really sure the details. I mean, but, what uh, Ray Parker Jr. never did anything else. What did he settle for? Like, like a bubblegum rapper or something. He yeah, didn't know, have really. any money. I'm like, give the guy the song. I mean, come on, Hugh Lewis. You have a lot of hit songs. Give him uh, it. Well, you mentioned a little while ago, George Finn Wolfhard in mm-hmm. Stranger Things. I think it was season two of Stranger Things. That was set in October in Halloween time to show that they were connected to the 80s. I mean, Stranger Things was all about invoking the 80s for its audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of the guys came dressed as Ghostbusters. That's how they were going uh, on Halloween. And they, were they arguing about who got to be Vinkman at one point? Like, yeah, I'm Vinkman. Yes. No, you're uh, Vinkman. The one kid who you thought would have been Ernie Hudson's character, he wanted to be Vinkman as well. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you're the only black person. You have to be. You know, 
<laughs> it was so great because I think if there was a group of four friends, they had to try to do Ghostbusters. You had to be Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters sure, right. Point, it was right? obvious. <laughs> yep. And of course, you had toys, action figures, and comic books. And it's the kind of thing, like a Pac-Man, you know, that just absolutely permeated everything that, that we already loved. And it's like, you know, what? here's a Ghostbusters flavor of it. Awesome. I'm in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think of, I can't think of any really cool Ghostbusters toys, though. Oh, yeah. There's one. Oh, there's one? Okay, which one's that? Yeah, the Ecto-1. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. yeah. There's some really <laughs> nice versions, depending upon which one you want. There's yeah. a Lego version of the Ecto-1. <laughs> there's a model version of the Ecto-1. There are a lot of okay. different ways to yeah. bring that one home. And of any of the things, I've got like a pop vinyl type of thing of one of the Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. Uh, those are all cute and everything. But an Ecto-1, yeah. for some reason, that <laughs> that's anything it. that's an Ecto-1, yeah. I'm probably going to It's grab. a car. I'm, yep. I'm, now I have to yeah. look for that. You know, I feel like cool. most of the toys actually came out of the cartoons. Now that I think about it, they were because mm-hmm. the cartoons were over the top. Lots of different ghosts and different crazy characters. Mm. Oh, that's true. Uh, whereas less so much coming out of the, the actual film. But. I would say out of the film, it was probably mostly T-shirts, especially the symbol yeah, in no, different yeah. forms, yep. you know, on hats and shirts and backpacks and lunch boxes, probably. Of that course. Kind of a thing. Yep. Yep. Well, before we get out of this show, we talked a little bit about Afterlife. It's coming out in just a week if you're listening to this uh, on time or it's already out. Go enjoy it if you're listening to it later. <laughs> uh, so we've had a little bit. I just want to real quickly, what are your thoughts? What are your expectations for Afterlife? When we see this in a week, what's your hope coming out of the back end of Afterlife that it what's the impact it has on the franchise George why don't we start with you this time uh, I mean I kind of shared my thoughts earlier I I like that they're doing something I like that they're paying homage to the original which is something I don't think after Ghostbusters 2 anything else did really well I'm a little dubious about the format of the movie being a mm-hmm. drama versus a comedy but I think it'll probably still play well with certain people like Mo mentioned Paul Rudd being in there you know he's going to give some comic relief to different scenes mm-hmm. I think no matter unless I'm just completely mistaken the trailer gives me hope that I'm going to enjoy this film and it'll be one of the films that I watch five or ten times in order to figure out why I like it, what's so cool mm-hmm. about it, that kind of a yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I have positive expectations. I'll tell you for my part, the only thing that really rubs me rubs me the wrong way is too harsh. I find a little like, eh, really? Is the they, they showed their scene like in a grocery store where there's a lot of tiny stay puffed marshmallow men, mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. feels a little too miniony, like they're just pandering to a toy and little kids. Like, is that really At needed? Point, yeah. They're making s'mores out of each other. But all the other things that I've seen, the return of the devil dogs, the clear connection back to the original. Mm-hmm. It's no secret that almost all of the remaining living cast, except Moranis, as far as I know, have some small part to play because there's so much press going on. And it's I, I think I'm going to come out of this happy. I think. I think I'm really going to enjoy this film. I think I'm going to like it more than two, probably, because uh, and I think it fulfills what I wished the 2016 film would have been. So I'm sure it's going to be a topic on an upcoming regular episode. It's going to be in our media segment. We're going to, oh, we're sure. going to rake it over. So, Mo, what about you before we go? What do you what are we hoping comes God, out of this? I Yeah, what I hope is that I see a Ghostbusters movie that's not like any of the other Ghostbusters movies. Like, hmm. I wanted to feel like I'm in the same universe. I want to feel like the same area because... I don't think you could ever get that comedy magic with that cast again, because that cast was just phenomenal for that stuff. And so to do that, you know, so I hope that there's like, I'm hoping for just a movie at the end. I'm like, that's the sequel. 
that that's Ghostbusters three in my head. There it is. You know, that There's Ghostbusters three. Yeah. Right. That, that exactly. I hope this is Ghostbusters three that we won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I feel like as soon as I stop recording, I'm gonna have to go watch Ghostbusters again. And maybe George <laughs> Ghostbusters two. I might give it another shot based on your, <laughs> it's, your recommendation. It's not a bad film. Oh, you, so you keep saying we'll see. I don't know. Love saves the day. We'll find <laughs> out. How she go from being a cello player to an art restorer? That's the thing that got me. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. That's the one thing. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I've had a blast running over the history of Ghostbusters with you. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're going to be back in two weeks with another backtrack. Next week, of course, is the regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. Thank you so much, George, for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you, man. Oh, man, always fun. Fourth listener, though, it is you we all appreciate most of all. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. All right. Is your is your dog settling down? Yeah, they're, uh, they're fine. Yeah. Actually, hold up a second. Okay. Just double check. Okay. <clears throat> it sounds like sleigh bells. Jing, jing, jing. <laughs> Hold on, let me go. Let me go shout yeah, at the dogs. Yeah, they're fine. So my brother. So oh. I just put them down. They're fine. <laughs> it's it's all good now. <laughs> I didn't hear a gunshot. How the fuck did you put them down that quick? Jesus Christ! Duct tape. Look, I'm calling the ASPCA. Damn it. Mo Mo is lethal and quiet. He's like a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.